Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is our July book club episode. This one is Same Time Next Summer by Annabelle Monahan. And I just read this book cover to cover last night. So it is very fresh in my mind, and I can't wait to talk about it. I can't wait to talk about it. I have just read this book for the third time, um, which tells you how much I enjoyed it. So before we get into everything about this book, let's talk about highs and lows. What is your high? Um, My high is that I'm still in Maine. I just, I live here now. More Maine, more Maine ventures. (laughs) I was about to say. My friend Molly took off last Friday. She took the day off from work and we went down to Portland for like a little day trip lunch. We had lunch at Central Provisions, which is so, so good. And then we went up to the coastal Maine Botanical Garden up in Booth Bay, which is, I don't know what I was expecting. Like I was expecting it to be much smaller. It's like this whole landscaped fairyland of trees and plants and flowers. I loved it. Was this the day where you posted a photo and I responded with, wow, I don't know. It maybe. was like it was like a scene of like a picnic table and the water. Oh no, that was the next day. On Saturday, oh, okay. we went lobster roll scouting. We were determined. So last summer when I was up here for two weeks, we went to this place called McLoon's Lobster Shack, which we decided was like our favorite lobster roll that any of us had ever had in Maine. And so on Saturday, we were like, okay, we're gonna go see if we can find an even better one. So we scoured all the lists online and we we did all the recon and we we went to two places. We were maybe going to go to three. I'm sad to report that the place you responded, it was called Five Islands in Georgetown, Maine. It was very picturesque. The lobster roll was fine. Mm. It was honestly so beautiful that it wouldn't even have mattered to me. <laughs> it looked so lovely. It was so mean. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it was disappointing. The, no, it was so mean. Itself. Part of it is the journey did not disappoint. Well, it sounds like... Lots of fun. Lots of fun. I do have a strong low, so we'll get to that. But before that, tell me your high because I am very excited about this. Oh, yes, me too. I'm honestly literally still recovering physically. I'm so tired this week. But so Jake and I went to Denver last week for the Eras tour. We were only there for like 48 hours, but I met up with and went to the concert with my really good friend and her partner. And we went to multiple dinners, multiple food stops, including, I have to shout out this place because this is part of my high. We went to this place in Denver called Sushi Den. And there were two recommendations for sushi that I got repeatedly. One was this place called Uchi, which I couldn't get a reservation. Anyway, this other place was Sushi Den. And I was like, Denver is landlocked. They were like, oh, they fly the sushi in from Japan every day. But I kind of was a little bit skeptical. Let me tell you, I have never in my life had sushi this good. This was like life-changing, five stars, very expensive, but unbelievable sushi. Like it ruined me. It ruined me. I am not exaggerating. I would fly back to Denver to go to Sushi Den. Now, I'm serious. Um, I don't mean to put you on blast, but was this your five o'clock dinner or your nine o'clock dinner? This was our five o'clock dinner. Okay. That's good because that is the way to do it, to have the amazing one first rather than being too full and discovering something so amazing. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, the second nine o'clock dinner, which was this restaurant called Softa, which was 
the most recommended restaurant I got by far. Where you I ran into my friend Lauren. Yes, I know. Who I don't even think was there for the Eris concert, right? And doesn't know No, she's there. from there. Oh, okay. I lied. But yes. But that actually leads me into my next part about why Denver was so great. I am not kidding you. Aside from your friend Lauren, like at least 10 people came up to me and said, I listen to the podcast or I follow you on Instagram. And I literally felt like a celebrity for the entire weekend. It was so cool. What does this mean for us? Does this mean we have a disproportionately large Denver following or were they all visiting and we just have like a very strong Swifty overlap? I think it's a very strong Swifty overlap. I think if we pitched to Taylor Swift that we open the next tour, oh, I, th- I think this would make sense. It would be like Muna, then us, then Taylor Swift. Really bringing the mood down. Like, do you want to talk about some weird <laughs> shit right now? Um, and, and you know how hard up she is for openers. Oh, yes. I think she's really struggling. It would be like three things, stadium edition. Oh, my anyway, God. Actually, one of the people, I was literally walking out of the concert. So I'm like sweating profusely, sunburned. My voice is gone. I'm like half intoxicated. And I'm walking through a tunnel to the parking lot, which was two miles away, with like 300 people. And someone next to me just goes, are you Olivia? And I'm like literally just a dead human after the experience that I just had. Anyway, and she listened to the podcast. So thank you to everyone who listened to said hi, because I just felt so great all weekend. Someone told me they like my sub stack. I was like, I like your sub stack. (laughs) Thank you. But like just a stranger that's never happened before. Someone told Jake, your candle content is iconic. Jake got a shout out. It's true. Anyway, it was just so nice. And then, of course, I mean, the concert was everything I hoped it would be. It was just, I kept being like, I cannot believe Taylor Swift is just there, like in the flesh. It almost seems like she's like a a figment of my imagination at this point. But anyway, if you somehow come across tickets or something, I highly suggest. It was unlike anything I've ever experienced. I mean, I hope the universe works some magic and tickets just an opportunity for tickets. I'm not unwilling to pay for them, but I hope just like a ticket opportunity comes my way. Yeah, just throw it out there. That's what I did. And it it worked out. It it wasn't cheap, but but worth it. Okay. What is your low? Okay. So I already told you this, but I need our listeners to promise not to laugh because it's funny, but it's not funny. So on Sunday... It was really rainy here. We got bagels. We bought a new puzzle. We set ourselves up at the dining room table that we were going to do this puzzle all day. And earlier in the week, I had been working from the couch, which nobody required me to do. I just chose to do, you know, in my hunchback shape, my preferred writing shape, C. (laughs) And then was doing this puzzle all day Sunday. And I got this like twinge after probably five hours of doing this puzzle where I was like, my back doesn't feel great. Then I was like, I'm just going to go lay down on the floor for a minute. And then I couldn't get up from the floor. Uh, My back fully went out. It is Tuesday. I was, I was basically like down for 36 hours. Today is the first day that I can sit in a chair. Yeah. Becca is not recording this from the floor. No, I'm not. So everyone knows. I'm not. I was really really worried about what we were going to do about the podcast. I was like, I was like, I know Phoebe Wright read the book. Maybe she can sub in for me or like maybe a listener wants to sub in for me. Like I, I'm not exaggerating. It's the worst pain I've ever experienced. I won't like 
go into it, but oh, it's like a scary type of pain. I felt that before. Never like just for momentary, like just 10 seconds or something where it seizes up. But like, it is terrifying because it, oh, it, it's like, a, it's a weird type of pain. So I'm sorry you're going through that. Thank you. I'm definitely on the mend. I'm not good, but I'm way better than I was. So yeah, this is just an interesting little interlude in my main venture. Well, I hope you recover soon. Thank you. I hope so too. What about you? Well, I guess I kind of have two. One is that I feel like I've just been super tired since Taylor, which is, I'll take it. I'll take that low all day. It's just my voice did not fully come back until today. And then secondary low is if you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen that we discovered a family of about 50 bats that was living outside our window behind one of our shutters. So outside of the house, but I got a lot of alarmist DMs being like, you should get a preventative rabies shot. And I was like, they're not even in the house. Well, spoke too soon. One of them managed to get in, I guess. And I didn't like that feeling. I didn't deal with it. Jake did. But like, I just really did not like the feeling that it had infiltrated my home. And it sent me on a bit of a spiral. But anyway, I think it's gone now. Maybe. Who knows? And we bought them a bat B&B. So I'm, sorry, I'm hoping you... that. Explain that more. Go go further into that one. Yeah. So if you buy a bat house for bats, the idea is that you will move them to a location where they're more likely to stay put and you don't harm them. And then they still eat all the mosquitoes and bugs and stuff at night, which they eat up to like 10,000 or 100,000 mosquitoes a night or something. So like, you know, good for them. Like, thank you, bats. Anyway, I don't want them behind my shutters. So we got the a bat BNB. Follow-up question. So you put the bat house where the bats are, and then you transport a house full of bats to a second location. Am I understanding this? No, no, no. So okay. you put them like all that's required is it's like a high location somewhat near where they're nesting now. Got it. Got so it, got we're gonna it. put it like very high on the side of our house. And the hope is that instead of being really close to our windows and stuff, they'll just really hang out there. It's an ideal location. It's aesthetically pleasing. They can like do their thing away from the windows. No, this makes a lot more sense. I was picturing Jake with like a box full of bats walking across your yard and them all coming out and him just being in a cloud of bats. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, he like walked out of the bedroom last night and all I hear from the hallway is, do not open the door. Do not open the door. Whatever you do, don't open the door. And I was like, what is it? What is it? And he's like, there's a bat. Then he was, he came back in. He was describing the movements of the bat. He was like, yeah, he was just like really graceful. I was like, how did you know it was there? He's like, well, he just zoomed right past my head. And he was just doing these, like, he kept doing like an imitation of the bat. Like just very chill about it. I, anyway. Do you think this is the beginning of Jake's superhero origin story where he becomes <laughs> Batman? I'll take that over being the rabies origin story. Oh, sure. Sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah, given the two. Maybe this is where Jake becomes a Marvel character. Good luck to him. All right, before we get into book club, let's take an ad break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes in life, we're faced with tough choices and the path forward isn't always clear. 
I know that anytime I've slightly changed my day-to-day life and especially my career, I've had a lot of anxiety about not only making the right decision, but what the consequences of that decision would be. Therapy has consistently helped me work through not only making those decisions, but dealing with the aftermath of them too. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Unlike the therapy you've always imagined, BetterHelp is entirely online, flexible, convenient, and suited to your schedule. Instead of spending hours Googling things, trying to find the perfect therapist, only to call and realize they aren't taking new clients, use BetterHelp. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Plus, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I love this feature of BetterHelp so much because I have definitely had experiences in the past where I managed to go through all the trouble and steps of booking an appointment and finding a therapist and meeting them. But when it turned out they weren't exactly the right fit for me, I didn't really feel like going through the process all over again. BetterHelp makes finding the right therapist for you that much easier though. So you're less likely to give up on therapy or settle for someone who isn't the right fit. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash bad on paper today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash bad on paper. All right, let's get in to a very quick summary of this book and then we can discuss it. Yes, you did a great job with the summary, by the way. Oh, it's so short. It was hard to bring in all the subplots. So I'll just give you the highest level. So buttoned up Sam has her whole future figured out, but everything is upended when she takes her fiance back to the Long Island beach town where she grew up summering in to look at wedding venues. While there, she runs into Wyatt, the boy next door who was also her first love. Told in alternating now and then timelines, we see young Sam and Wyatt fall in love, while in the present, reuniting with Wyatt calls into question who she is and what she wants from life. So Olivia, I have sang up, down, and sideways the praises of this book, so everyone knows that I like it, but I am so curious to hear your overall thoughts on this book. Yeah, I really enjoyed this book. I admittedly, because of the Eras tour and just me being behind in life, did not start this book till last night. And so I was like, this will actually be a very good way to gauge how much I like it because it's either going to take me all night or I'm going to fall asleep. But I read it straight through cover to cover. The only thing that interrupted it was the bat situation. After the bat, I was very happy to go right back to the book and escape into the beach, the beach world. So yeah, I thought it was a quick read. I I really liked it. And I really liked the family and just the beach details. And anyway, we'll get into specifics. But yeah, I liked it. And you've read this now three times. So you must really, really like it. I did. I mean, I read it back in February as an ARC, which is an advanced reader copy that was sent to me. And I loved Annabelle Monaghan's first book, Nora Goes Off Script. So I was really excited to read this. And I just love this. There was something about it that reminded me of Every Summer After, at least like the same feeling that I got from Every Summer After, but still felt totally like its own thing. And I wrote this down because I was delighted to see that my radar was spot on. In the copy that I had, there was an editor's note from Annabelle Monaghan's editor. And part of what she said, I'll, I'll read it. She said, Like so many in 2022, I fell head over heels for Carly Fortunes every summer after. I listened to the audio and then bought the book just so I could cry over it again. 
When I finished, I felt emotionally hungover, and I was astonished when Annabelle Monahan sent me The Antidote, same time next summer. It was the only book that was able to get me out of my incredible read hangover by making me fall in love with its own world, inviting me to live in its heartbreak and hope. Sam and Wyatt's love story swept me away. I was utterly surprised by what caused their split and amazed by the way Monahan writes of how they find each other again. It's emotional and raw and romantic in all the best ways. And I thought that was such a apt summary pitch for it. Like, that's a lot what I liked about it. I felt like it had, there was so much nostalgia, but it was, I feel like it was a very, I don't mean this as a dig at it. Like it's, it was a very generic kind of nostalgia. It was a fake town. It was about growing up, going to a beach. And I was like, I feel like everyone can relate to this. It was about falling in love for the first time. Like I just found it very easy to slip into this. It wasn't an unfamiliar world. I loved the setting the house specifically and like her kind of like hippie parents who were doing all these creative pursuits, making paper and painting and like just the whole vibe of the house and the family. And I really liked the sister relationship too. I thought that was a really interesting dynamic that I don't think I've seen maybe at all or so not very many times this like very much older sister dynamic with like a much younger sibling. And then, you know, I always love dual timeline books. I feel like I love getting to see characters at two different points in their life, I feel like, is what appeals to me about the dual timeline romance. Yeah, definitely. I loved all of that as well. And the family in particular, I'd remembered you talking about the parents, but I additionally loved the grandparents so much. Loved them. I thought they were just adorable. And I loved her relationship with her brother. Like, I thought all of it was very fun. And it felt very like, I I could really feel the family. Same. Yeah, I agree with that. And I guess another thing that I liked about this and I like about Annabelle Monaghan's writing in general is like, I feel like her books are really grounded while still being funny. And what I mean by that is I feel like sometimes, and again, I don't mean this as a dig, like I feel like sometimes Emily Henry's humor veers a little outlandish, which I love no spoilers, but like the premise of book lovers is that she's been dumped for a woman in a small town three different times. And like, yeah, of course it could happen, but like, it's a little bit of a outlandish setup. Whereas I feel like what Annabelle Monaghan does so well is I feel like the writing is so sparkly and funny and wonderful, but it's like a very grounded type of humor. Yeah. It's super accessible. I know that someone either an aunt or maybe my mother-in-law or my mom, I don't know, attempted to read Emily Henry and it just did not click with them at all for some reason. And I I think it's because it's like a brand of humor that is not necessarily super common with different generations. (laughs) Like I think it's a very specific millennial verging on Gen Z, but I would say mostly millennial type of thing. There was a moment where I followed this Instagram account that was like the worst Goodreads reviews. They were funny. It wasn't like hurtful ones. You know, like it was like they would have reviews of the Bible or things that like right. were very established. But one of them was about Emily Henry. And I, I'm i going to paraphrase this badly, but I remember the person saying like, it's like seeing your seventh grade cousin and hearing every single detail about anything that's ever happened at their middle school. And I was like... <laughs> Yeah, that that's really true, but I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it either works for you or it doesn't, whereas I feel like Annabelle Monaghan is a little bit more like universally accessible. Yeah. Well, so we both liked it, but to give some representation to the other side, we did have a listener voicemail 
who didn't love it. Hi, Olivia and Becca. It's Grace calling from D.C. Every book club needs a hater, and I guess this one just me with same time next summer. I thought it was just fine. I thought the plot was predictable. I felt like the main characters were one-dimensional. I didn't really care whether they got together or not. I found both of them a bit annoying. Um, I was honestly more invested in the subplot with their parents. That being said, I did like it. I read it really quickly. I feel like it was a standard beach read and nothing to complain about, but nothing to write home about. Um, and it certainly didn't stand head and shoulders above other beach reads a la Carly Fortune or Emily Henry. I'm really excited to hear your takes in case there's something that I missed because for me, it just wasn't 100% there. I mean, I always get when people are like, their main thing that didn't click with them in a romance is that it's predictable because like, that is the thing with a romance. The people are going to end up together. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's just how it goes. And I do think though that this one managed to have a twist within that story about the reasons they broke up, which we'll talk about later. But I don't know. What do you think about this voicemail? Well, it, it reminded me. So in Catherine Center's latest book, Hello, Stranger, there was an author's note at the end where she kind of, it was like almost like a defense of the romance genre and her saying how, in a very nice way, how sick she was of people shitting on the romance genre. And she was saying, you know, people say it's predictable because it always ends with a happy ending, but she's like, that makes it that much harder to create a story that is still worth reading, even though you know exactly what's going to happen. And so I feel like that's one thing I appreciated so much about this book is that so much of it felt different than other romances that I've read, both in terms of the dynamic between the parents and the kind of role they played in the story, and then also her relationship with her younger sister. Like, I feel like the romance part of it felt like something I'd read before, but I felt like there were so many elements of it that felt completely fresh. And so I guess that's what makes a great romance for me. Is like still having things that are surprising and fresh, even though you know that it's going to be the characters are going to get together at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think in the voicemail when they say like it didn't stand head and shoulders above beach reads or every summer after, I mean, I think that it's on par with all of those. I think it just kind of depends like what kind of romance genre you're looking for, like what kind of tone you really want, I guess. I always think of when... Emily Henry's editor, Amanda Bergeron, came on the podcast. Her and Carly Fortune did an episode with us last July when we were doing our How a Book Gets Made series. And she used some type of metaphor where she was like, Emily Henry and Carly Fortune are for the same reader, but the books are completely different. And it's as if one was done all in shades of orange, like bright electric orange, and the other was like all shades of like moody blue. And I feel like that's such an apt metaphor where it's like, I don't know what color Annabelle Monaghan would be, but I feel like it is that, but it's like its own different color than the two of those. Same with Catherine Center. Like, I feel like there's a lot of really great romance out there, but like they're all a slightly different flavor. Totally. And sometimes it hits with you and sometimes it doesn't. Like there's authors out there that I don't love their work. So, you know, I feel like it's like, I mean, so much of it is a mood thing. Like what you're looking for at that moment, how you're feeling. But I feel like, you know, it's just like some colors of this romance spectrum of like the bright orange versus the moody blue versus let's say Annabelle Monaghan is bright yellow. Like some of that appeals to some people and some of it doesn't. What about uh, Nora Goes Off Script? So how did this compare for you? Well, I loved Nora Goes Off Script and I've read that twice. I've been doing a lot of rereading of second chance romances as I write 
my next book because my next book is a second chance romance as well. And so I'm trying to really immerse myself in the genre and reread books I've loved to understand like what about them works, even if, you know, there's nothing in common. And I liked that book so much because I feel like it dealt with a later in life romance, which I thought was really interesting. And it was small town, but not small towny, if that makes sense. Like it was a different twist kind of on a celebrity normal person romance, which I feel like usually takes place in LA or New York. I loved it. I think one thing that impressed me so much about that book was how svelte it was. Like it was just like such a compact, like it was what, like 250 pages or something? Like it was just, and this book too was really compact. I feel like yeah, it like really packs a punch, but isn't overwrought in a way that maybe some people might say that an Emily Henry, I wouldn't say that, but other people might say. Yeah. I think there's not a lot of like fluff. It gets to the point. And the chapters, at least in this one, I was like, I noticed immediately how short the chapters were, which I really liked. Yeah, me too. It kept um, me reading. Yeah, same. What did you think of Nora Goes Off Script? I remember you read it. You were like a little late to the party, but you really liked it, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I liked both. I think both of these were kind of on the same level for me. I think maybe... I really liked this one because of the summer beach tradition aspect. And I really liked Nora Goes Off Script because of the old house part of it. I knew you were going to say that. I know. I, everyone says that. <laughs> that. Like, oh, I should read Nora Goes Off Script because of the the writing cottage or whatever, which God, mine will probably be a writing cottage in like 30 years at this point. But um, I think in terms of the romance, I preferred this one, maybe. Like I preferred, like I found they have more chemistry in this one. Mm. Slightly. I don't know. But then, I don't know. I feel very, very similarly about both of them, I think. I think it's such a nerve-wracking, hard thing to deliver a sophomore novel, which I'm, spoiler, we're going to talk to Annabelle in next week's episode. And I'm really curious to see how she felt about that, if she was nervous or if this just kind of flowed out of her, because I feel like they're both great. Yeah, definitely. So I said, when I talked about this, the first time in February, I said that I thought this was going to be the beach book of the summer. I don't know if it's quite hit that. Do you feel like we have a 2023 beach book of the summer? Hmm. I don't know. I'm very curious to see what everyone's reading when I go on vacation in a couple weeks. I haven't really seen something that every single person I follow is reading, at least not like specifically romance, maybe happy place. Well, I was going to say, I feel like fourth wing has just taken over oh, came right. out of nowhere yeah. and it's it's romanticy so it's it still hits that romance genre even though it's not kind of what I was thinking when I said beach book of the summer I didn't see it coming couldn't have predicted fourth wing and those dragons I don't think anyone could have I was trying to think before this episode and I can't think of like a breakout novel meaning like a novel not from somebody who already has a huge profile, meaning like Ellen Hildebrand or Emily Henry, that is like really broken out this summer. I feel like this could be like maybe the breakout beach read of the summer, if we want to call it that. Yeah, I think so. I've seen enough people talking about it that I think that makes sense. Yeah, I was I was also, then I was like getting self-conscious after I heard the voicemail of the person being like, well, every book club needs a hater and I'm this one's. I mean, no shade to them, but I was like, maybe it was just me that liked this so much. And as I was rereading it this time, I was like, you know, I was talking about this on last week's episode. And I was like, maybe the plot line about Sam's loss of and subsequent like refining of her creativity might be something that was like specifically a me thing that really, really drew me into this book and made it so special for me. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I really like that aspect of it too. I mean, for me, it's like being a not totally into romance person. Like very few romance books have like changed my life. But I feel like for me, the hallmark of a good romance and like whether I like it or not is if I am compelled to keep reading. This checked that box for me like 100%. So I don't know, but everyone's looking for something different in their romance. So, well, I'm curious from you specifically how you felt about the main character, Sam. And I wanted to know specifically if you related to the feeling that she had as a teen of kind of being a baby or not ready to grow up, because I feel like that's something you've talked about on the podcast before about your teen years. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you connected with this character, especially, or how you felt about her. I mean, I guess when I was a teen, I mostly just felt like I was like behind other people in terms of dating and stuff. And that's kind of why I felt like I was just not as grown up as other people, if that's what you're referencing, I guess. But I had really just some of it. Yeah. She was talking more about how she didn't like that everyone was drinking beers and she didn't feel ready for that. And then there was another point where they had a it was like a party or something. And she, they were like, we know you don't want to come, but like we're having this party. Yeah. I guess a little bit. I kind of got the vibe while reading it that she was like, had no interest in it. And that was kind of fine with her, Hmm. you know? Whereas with me, it was like, I felt this like push and pull of, I want to be doing this because I want to fit in. But also I feel like I shouldn't because I want to be like, quote unquote, better than this. And I can be different if I don't do it. So I don't know. Mostly I was like thinking, reading this book and the flashbacks and stuff, her situation of like meeting the kid next door is like everything I wanted as a teenager going to the beach every summer. Like I literally fantasized about it. I was like, who's going to be staying at the house next door? Like, oh my gosh, it it would, it pained me almost. Cause I like could feel how many times I had imagined this in my life. It never did happen, but <laughs> I could relate to that feeling release that dream. We never rented houses on vacations. I do remember one time having a cruise romance. Oh, see, I love that. That was like when you're a teenager, that feeling of like you're going to be leaving your normal bubble of people and you see the same people all the time. And there's going to be this new possibility of like a new guy or whatever. It's just like, oh my gosh, there's nothing like that when you're a teen. It's so intense. What happened to the cruise? person. I literally can't even remember his name right now, to be honest. But we went on this cruise, I guess it was between my junior and senior year of high school, maybe, or maybe my sophomore and junior year of high school. I can't remember. It was a Caribbean cruise and I got to bring a friend. And so we had our own room. You know, it's a cruise ship. Like you, you can't get lost. You can't go anywhere. You're at sea. And so we were kind of just allowed to run wild. And there was a teen club Oh yeah, the teen club. There was a teen club and we met these guys at this teen club. And I remember us like hanging out on this stairwell that like led to the staff quarters because it was like the most private place we can find. And I remember like, I definitely made out with this guy and I was so into him. Of course, I never saw him again. I can't remember his name. I like, I'm pretty sure I might have photos, like photos that were developed at a Walgreens, like from a disposable camera. Like I might, still have photos from that cruise. Like I can kind of picture one in my head. I'm also, oh my gosh. I don't know if I'm making this up, but like, I'm pretty sure he was wearing a puka shell necklace the whole time. I mean, of course, I hope so. He's got to be. 
that was my dream as a teenager. You you live my dream. So oh. how does it feel? And then I think we like exchanged AIM screen names and oh my God. messaged for, you know, I'm sure by like November it fizzled, but I was like, I just met this great guy on vacation and we're going to be in love. And it was like, I'm never going to see him again. Cut to 20 oh, years later. I don't who, remember his name. We need to Google him now. So I hope we can, we can track him down. Maybe he's a listener. He's one of our two male listeners. Oh, maybe at best I can track down a photo of him. I do not think I could come up with his name. I think actually my friend, Jen, who went on this cruise with me might listen to this podcast. And I mean, there's like maybe a one in a million shot that she remembers his name, but she could let Jen, us know. help us out. <laughs> you know, one thing that I really liked about Sam, I feel like it was a little bit extreme, the lengths that she went to changing her personality, but I really recognized within her, like the dissonance between who she was as a child and then what her life looked like as an adult and her career and kind of like, not necessarily a disappointment, but just feeling that dissonance between them, I guess. Yeah. It felt very realistic to me. Yes. Like, agree. It, I, I, I believed all of it. She felt like a real person to me. And she felt like a real person that I would, you know, perhaps know in the city. Like, oh, yeah, Sam, who works in HR and she's dating this doctor and I don't know, he's fine. I don't really have anything like positive or negative to say about him. Like she felt I was like, yes, this is a person who exists in real life. Yeah. And for the most part, she didn't annoy me. Which sometimes I feel like when I read books where the main character is in a relationship and it's very clear that she's going to end up with someone else or he, I get a little bit frustrated with them because I'm like, this isn't how the real world works. (laughs) Like, you know, you don't just drop a whole relationship that's years long and do this other thing. But the reasoning behind it and sort of who she was, like all made it seem very natural to me. So, yeah. We do have a listener voicemail that is a critique of Sam vis-a-vis her friend relationships. Let's listen to that. Hi, Becca and Olivia. This is Catherine calling in from Oregon about the book club pick. I really liked it, and I really, really loved Nora Goes Off script. I read that in one day. That was at the beach in December. The only complaint I have about the book by Animal Monaghan is that her main characters seem to have, like, no friends. I think Emily Henry's books are just slightly longer and do develop some secondary characters. But Animal Monaghan doesn't. I don't think it's, I don't think it's um, bad or anything. I just noticed it since I've been reading her books that her main characters have no friends. I was just wondering what you thought about that, what you think about development of secondary characters in general. Thanks for the podcast. Listen to it every week. Have a good day. Bye. I actually saw this voicemail come in before I had read the book. So it was in the back of my head when I was reading. And it's interesting because I actually, well, I think two things. One, I think that the family relationships were really interesting here. And so it took the place of the friend relationships. And the second thing is that I think in a romance for me, I actually prefer there to be less friendship development because I know that that serves to like develop the character deeper. But I felt like in this case, Sam was pretty developed. Like what I really want to read about is the romance and the two people and the chemistry. Like I don't necessarily care so much about the friendships. I don't know. Is that weird? No, it didn't bother me at all. I could only have my writer's hat on when thinking about this question and just thinking about 
how hard it is in such a limited space where you're usually dealing with a romance A plot and then some kind of like life or career subplot for the main character to then also have like well-developed friends on top of it. Like I truly think Happy Place by Emily Henry is like an act of alchemy slash magic slash maybe the result of a deal with the devil that all of those characters with such a huge cast did feel as developed as they were. Like that is not easy. And I think a lot of times in romance books when the main character has a best friend, it's it's really what is called a window character. And the character just exists in order to talk to the main character about their feelings about the romance. So you end up with these kind of like not super well-developed. And, you know, I'll use real examples. And I loved both of these books, but like the Chantal character in Every Summer After, I feel like is very much a window character. Or if you go back to Emily Henry's first book, Beach Read, I feel like Shadi is very much a, a window character where it's like, these set dressing characters who kind of just exist so that the main character can say out loud as opposed to just in their head what they're thinking and or so that somebody else can pick apart the problems that, you know, might lay ahead with this romance. Yeah. Okay, so Sam also says in the book that she feels unbuttoned at the beach. And do you have a place that makes you feel that way, Becca? Makes you feel like a different person? I was thinking about this and I feel like not really. I feel like being in both Maine and my annual girls trip to the breakers make me feel like a more relaxed person, but I certainly don't feel different in the way that Sam does, where I'm starting to question aspects of my personality or choices that I've made. Do you have a totally different Olivia? Is like the Olivia at Playa Excellence Mujeres like <laughs> completely yeah, different? That's definitely... That's definitely a more relaxed version of myself that consumes far more alcohol than my normal version. No, I mean, actually, I think with me, every time I visit somewhere new, I feel like a different person. Like I was in Denver and I was like, could I just live in Denver? I could live here. I could do this. I could hike. I could get used to the altitude. Or like if I'm in Europe, I'm like, well, time to sell all my belongings and drink, you know, spritzes on a balcony, which... Of course, it's all that people do in Europe, I've been told. But I'm very influenced by anywhere that's not where I live. I just always think like, oh, who would I be here? And what would I be doing? And I could wear more linen or I don't know. Anyway, that's the short answer. Well, a listener had a a very different twist on this question for us. Let's listen to that. Hi, Becca and Olivia. I'm Kara. I adored Same Time Next Summer and wanted to pose a question for both of you. For Sam, the beach represents a carefree and joyful way of life. Um, And it's where she's forced to really put her walls down and her natural creativity thrives. How do you two harness this energy in your own lives when you can't be in a treehouse on the beach? Thanks for the recommendation. Love the podcast. So... I feel like my creative place is an action, not a place, and it's walking. I feel very resentful of needing to do anything work-related. And I guess now, because of writing books, like, creativity is some of my job. But, like, I'm in Maine, and I don't, I mean, I am writing, but I'm, like, I feel like when I'm away from home, I'm, like, in relaxation mode or in having fun mode. But I'm not in like connecting with my creativity mode. I feel like that for me is like at home going on a walk. Do you feel very creative in other places? 
I mean, like in my dream world, when I make this like writing cottage, that's going to be like my creative place I walk into and I just feel at peace. But as for now, I mean, I guess similarly, I have this like little collage book of creativity that I work on every now and then that I write down like poetry I like. And like last year, I printed out all these pictures of this random house that I really liked. And I wrote about like exactly what I wanted in a house, which was really cool to look at now because it has a lot in common with where we live. And whenever I open up like that book, I always kind of feel like a more creative person, like more in touch with that side of myself, I guess. I love that. Maybe both of us need to work on finding a place that elicits that and then we can go have writing (laughs) retreats there. I know. We should. If anyone has any suggestions, hit us up. I'm curious. I feel like you already mentioned this. Did you ever feel like Sam's fiance, Jack, and her were a good match? No, but I really liked that. Like, I feel like the author did a great job at making it understandable why she was with him. Like he wasn't so bad that, I mean, he was bad, but he wasn't like, it was a very fine line between like, oh, you can see why she fell for him. He's polite. Like he can have a good time, whatever. But then at the same time, it's like so clear that he's not right for her, which I feel like is difficult to do because I didn't feel bad for him at all at the end of it, which is good. But no, I agree with you. I think it was believable that they were together. Like, it was a believable match for her, especially given how much she was suppressing about herself. And I thought that it was so interesting the ways that we got to see that he was wrong for her. Like, for instance, the the Skip Warren thing, the tennis player that him and his family were all of a sudden so obsessed with having the wedding in Long Island because of this tennis player. We were like, oh, this guy, eye roll. But it, like, isn't an overtly terrible thing. He didn't do anything to her. I thought it was interesting. I feel like this is a trope of like the not the right guy that romance heroines are with at the beginning. And I feel like this one felt more palatable, both in terms of like the realism of them being together, but then also that he wasn't such a flaming asshole that you were like, of course you shouldn't be with this guy. I thought it towed the line well. I I feel like more of the tension was coming from what broke up Sam and Wyatt in the past and is it fixable than like which guy is right for her. Like I would never call this a true love triangle, but I think that's a really powerful source of narrative tension. Like in every summer after where she keeps saying like, and the thing that I did that broke us up and you're like, what did you do? What what happened? (laughs) So I feel like it wasn't really important that he be true competition for Sam's love, just that he like exist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I also really liked how he kept saying like, oh, you were kids. It didn't matter because that is something that I think all of us would probably say when referring to a relationship like that. But I think it just, I don't know. It was the perfect way to kind of illustrate that like he just didn't get it, but that didn't make him like the evil person (laughs) in this story. But also so much of why he didn't get it was because she was withholding parts of herself from him. And so, of course, he felt that way. Were you surprised to learn the reason that Sam and Wyatt broke up in the past? Yes, I was. It it threw me. Were you? Yeah, I was shocked. I, I thought that it really worked for the story. I didn't see it coming whatsoever. And I... I thought it was such an interesting layered element of like the relationship with her and her father. But then also like it is something that a kid would react so poorly to feeling like her dad ripped apart his family. Like I could totally empathize with that. Yeah, I thought it was very realistic, like how 
it went for the most part. Um, and I, I liked it. Yeah. So this is another book that has some therapy representation, which we talked about in the Before I Let Go book club that we did earlier this year about how rare that is in romance novels. And especially for male characters, I feel like there's even less therapy representation in romance novels. What did you think about that here? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I didn't really like that. I understood that her therapist was like, this is an addiction. You have to break it. You have to like go cold turkey. But it just struck me as really harsh. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know if this is a realistic portrayal of what therapy is like, because in my experience of therapy anyway, it's not about like, this is what you have to do. I was sort of wishing that one or both of them was in therapy as adults. Did they mention that at all? I, I don't think so, right? I don't think so either, which I think it would have been nice if like she went to therapy after her breakup with Jack before Wyatt entered the picture again. Or had an ongoing but, relationship with a therapist. Right. Who wasn't Dr. Judy, I would prefer yes, personally. Sure. <laughs> sure. Did you see it coming about Wyatt being a famous songwriter? I mean, yeah. Did you see that coming? <laughs> no. The first time I read it, I so did not really? see it coming, even though it was pointed to. I like I thought that he was maybe like a struggling bar musician. I I did not see it coming that he was famous. I was seriously? I, yeah, I was looking in the wrong places, I guess. I now that I've reread this book two more times, I see where it was hinted at, but I like I just totally was like, yeah, he works on cars and he's a simple guy and he is doing some singer-songwriter stuff on the side, like playing open mics. Oh. I didn't see him being famous. Oh, I feel like I knew for I thought it was supposed to be. I think maybe it was. I think that maybe I am sometimes, especially if I get really invested in a story, like I'm just along for the ride. Uh, maybe yeah. that's part of me that isn't a mystery reader, you know? Like, I'm not, like, right. trying to untie the the mysteries yeah. as I go. But no, I was, I was totally shocked by the reveal. Well, this kind of brings us to a listener voicemail, which I also have very strong thoughts about. So oh, okay. let's play <laughs> Let's play that. Hi, Becca and Olivia. I love the podcast. I also really enjoyed this book. It did not top Nora Goes Off script for me, though. And it's honestly because I had a really hard time getting over the plot decision to have us believe that Sam never once Googled Wyatt. I just don't buy it. I don't believe that a modern millennial woman would not have succumbed to the desire to creep an ex at some point over the course of 13 years. Did this bother either of you? Am I just more of a creeper? Please weigh in. Thanks. Bye. Well, first of all, my strongest thought here is how lovely this listener's voice is, and they should have a podcast if they don't. But let's get to the real question here, because this also deeply bothered me. (laughs) Just, I have so many thoughts, but what are your thoughts? Well, I guess... Again, I'm just learning what an uncritical reader I am, but it didn't bother me. I feel like it made sense that if you would go to such, such lengths to change your entire personality, your entire way of being, to convince yourself that you were somebody different, like I could totally see you not Googling this ex that Dr. Judy told you was toxic. Like she completely changed her life. So I'm like, if that's the magnitude she's willing to go to, 
I could see her having rules for herself about not Googling him. I mean, I understand it served the plot. And like, again, romances are supposed to like, you're supposed to know like what's going to happen. So it's okay. I think if a few things are not completely realistic, but um, as someone who will Google someone that I met once on a vacation, like 25 years ago, completely non-romantic, by the way, like I have a person that I was best friends with from like second to fourth grade. And I frequently will Google them just to see what they're up to, to see what their life. So like, I just can't imagine that. Well, I guess here's the thing. I guess I imagine the goal of not Googling them, if not search seeking out information. I can't imagine sticking to that for 15 years or Mm. 10 years. You would have a glass of wine one night. You would give in. At some point, you would break down, I think. But it served the story. So, and I think there were like allusions to like, Everyone Googles people like, how could you not have Googled him kind of thing? Yeah, it didn't bother me. And maybe that's because it was pointed out. Like, I feel like there's a literary word for it. Like, I can't remember if it's like putting a hat on it or something where it's like, oh, hanging a lampshade on it, where it's like, if there's something that a reader will find unbelievable for another character to point it out so that the reader then gets to be like, yeah, what about that? Yeah, 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 definitely. It didn't like make me angry or anything. I just, I had the same question. Well, I have a slightly spoilery topic for us to talk about. Spoilery with regards to Happy Place. So if you haven't read that yet, maybe skip ahead a few minutes until we're talking about cocktails. But I wanted to talk about Sam's choice to quit her job because I don't know if you read this, but in our Facebook group, there was such a polarizing conversation about whether or not it was realistic for Harriet to quit her job in medicine at the end of Happy Place. In this book, again, we see Sam quit her job this time in HR um, and go into something like quieter, more creative. I think a lot of the resistance in Happy Place was due to how much time that Harriet put into her career and, and especially how much money with, you know, going to med school and like loans she took out. So I was curious, like, how do you feel about both of those characters quitting their job? Was there one that you were like more supportive? Were you fine in both cases? Harriet seemed more sudden to me for some reason, even though like looking back on it, they both kind of were like, they made sense. Like there were the pieces that made them make sense, but it wasn't necessarily like I was thinking art teacher for the whole time. (laughs) Like it just, you know, kind of came out of nowhere. But I mean, I liked it. I thought it was sort of like a, cozy, nice, happy way to end the book. I I, like, if you want to get super realistic, then yeah, maybe like it should be addressed that like not everyone can just quit their job and work at the library, I think is what happened, um, right? Doing art projects and stuff. Is that what it was? Well, in the interim before she's going to go become a teacher. Right. And like not everyone has a parent's house that they can then go crash at, let alone one that's on the beach. And like, yes, Harriet had all these student loans probably. And how is she going to pay them off? But like no one wants to get into that at the end of a romance. I'm like, it's just like no one wants to weave that into the happy ending, I don't think. And like no one wants to read about that either, I think. Like if you're looking for a really realistic, like true to life ending. I don't know if this is necessarily always the genre for you. Like you want to feel warm and cozy, not necessarily thinking about student loans, even though that is the reality, right? Does that make sense? I don't know. No, it totally makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. I think also 
there's maybe a stereotype about everyone understands from like, I, I understand from shows like Grey's Anatomy, like how grueling it is to be in the medical profession, but you understand that it's prestigious and it pays well. And like, that's the sacrifice you're making. And so I feel like that was like a little bit harder pill to swallow that she didn't know what she was getting into or. Right. I don't know. Like it felt a little bit like you kind of questioned her as a person having gone this far down the path and not having had these thoughts beforehand. But with this one, I feel like, I mean, first of all, it didn't seem like she had any advanced degrees, hadn't like taken on a ton of debt for this. And her career was made out to be so boring and so regimented that I was almost rooting for her to quit this job where I was like, nobody should have this job. This sounds terrible. Yeah, it sounded horrible in every single every single way. Yeah. yeah. So for like a reader, I almost feel like in this one, I was like, oh my God, girl, quit your job versus in the other one, I was like, you should have known better, which isn't fair, I don't think, but was how I felt. That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about it that way, but I, I totally get that. Okay. So what about cocktails? I feel like if there's any book that like made me want to have a drink somewhere nice, it was <laughs> that I've read this summer. It was this book. Beach Reads and Bubbly, our friend makes a cocktail to go with all her favorite reads. And for this one, she made Mai Tais, which are featured in the book, among other drinks. Do you think this is the right choice? Did you have a cocktail in mind that you wanted to be sipping while reading this? So if I were to pair this book with a cocktail, for no reason, because I don't think this cocktail is ever mentioned in the book, I feel strongly that it would be a Tom Collins. What is a Tom Collins? A Tom Collins is... Let me. Google to make sure I'm right. A Tom Collins is gin, lemon juice, and club soda. Gin at the beach? It's a very country clubby drink, I feel like. And even though this wasn't like the Hamptons, like it just feels like what these people would be drinking on their patio. They'd be having like Tom Collins. It's easy to make. Because one thing that Beach Reads and Bubbly said was that her Mai Tais did not come out well. Mai Tais feels a little Mm. complicated. It's just a few ingredients. I don't know. I would say Tom Collins. What would you say? Hmm. You're going to say okay, like I have two. bottle of Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, li- like that's my answer for basically any question that you ask me between the months of May and August. Yes. Yes. I associate the beach, reading on the beach with white wine, cold, crisp white wine. But if I had to do a cocktail, I think that for this one, I would choose like a really sort of low key rum punch. Huh. Isn't that kind of what like a Mai not, Tai is? No. Not yeah, I don't. I've never had a Who Mai knows? Tai. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Just like really kind of like, you know, when you go to the Caribbean, if you've ever been and you like go on a random boat cruise, there's just like, I feel like there's always a random boat cruise. If you've been on a cruise, you do an excursion, you're just on some person's boat. Sure. And then they have like rum punch basically, but yeah. it's like in a giant like igloo dispenser cooler thing. You have no idea what's in it. It's like grain alcohol. You just trust it. That's that's kind of the vibe. Oh, interesting. I'm the person that's like, no, thank you. When the when that <laughs> punch comes around. Well, another thing about me in the Caribbean is that I will say yes to pretty much anything. If you get me on a boat and there's music playing, anything you throw at me, they're like, want to jump off this cliff? I'll be like, yeah, take me. I'll jump off with the rum punch in my hand. But. So I think the answer to the earlier question is what place makes you become a different person is apparently being on a boat in the Caribbean. Yeah. With a questionable batch of punch. Yeah. 
Well, my last question for you, I was really surprised to learn this. I learned this this morning. So the author said that the book is inspired by the Philadelphia story. And I'm just going to quote her from the book club kit on her website. Um, She said, the Philadelphia story has always been one of my favorite movies. At the highest level, it's the story of Tracy Lord, played by Katherine Hepburn, who comes home to get married and finds her ex-husband, C.K. Dexter Haven, played by Cary Grant, living next door. When I was a kid, I loved it for the funny dialogue and the scandalous way adults were making bad choices. So when I was older, it made me think about how we move through heartbreak, both in our own relationships and within our families, and often reinvent ourselves to keep our hearts safe in the future. And I think this is also lovely, but I was struck because the Philadelphia story also plays such a huge role in Funny You Should Ask by Alyssa Sussman. I have never seen this movie. Have you? Me either, but I also read this question from the book club kit at the end of the book and I was like I have to watch this movie I know this it's everyone talks about this movie it's inspiring all these great romance novels yeah maybe we should do that and report back yes maybe we should have a movie club oh that'd be fun funny you should ask I do ascertain that it might be slightly problematic but okay hmm well, I feel like most things that were created 50 years ago, or 50 at this point, what, 70, 80? Yeah, probably. Anyway, are problematic. So that's what we've got for you on the book club side. Would love to talk to you about this book in our Facebook group, especially because it's our listener pick book club. So I would love to hear from you. I've been loving how much conversation we've been having on our discussion threads recently. I feel like engagement's at a all time high and I'm living for it. Same. I love the person that was just like, I'm crying listening to Taylor Swift and I thought of Olivia. I'm like, yeah, these people get me. They get us. But let's move into some end matter. What are you obsessed with? I am obsessed with my evening dinner beverage. Sure. Which sounds like a line out of the Philadelphia story, but is in fact just my life. So I've given it a fancy name. I have been cooking dinner more, trying out recipes more, makes me happy. And while I cook, I listen to a podcast and I fill a wine glass with lots of crushed ice. And then I put in like an Olipop. I've already said this probably anyway, or just like water with lots of lemon or lime or some seltzer. And I don't know, just like I do this every night now. And it feels so satisfying to just sit my giant glass of mostly water while I cook. What is your obsession? My obsession I'm wearing right now, you have the world's worst angle because I had to stand up because my back is killing me. I got some new pajamas from my favorite pajama brand, which is called Recliner. And they have these big sleep shirts that I really like. But then this is a pajama short set. I can't move very well right now, so I'm not going to step back to show you. But I am obsessed with these. And I I have this weird scarcity mindset when it comes to, I don't know, random utility clothing purchases, like underwear, where like I'll have a few pairs of something that I really like. But then like once they're in the wash, I'm like, now you have to wear the other stuff that you don't like. And I'm like, I'm a grown ass adult who has an income, which like I could have only the underwear that I like. Like that isn't out of my reach. Like, why am I creating? Why do we not all make that happen as adults? Like that is like the bare minimum level of happiness and having our shit together. And we're all like, no, I think I'll just keep the 10 thongs that make my ass feel like it's falling off my body. Yeah. And it's like, that is the thing that's going to cost per wear wise. You're going to pay back in spades. It's true. So anyway, true. my favorite pajamas are all from recliner. And I had three of the night shirts. And then when they'd be in the wash, I'd be sad. So I bought four new sets. Well, I, I bought two short sets and then two big shirts. 
and I'm so happy to have all pajamas I like, but also they've been doing a ton of sales recently. And so I got them buy one, get one. And I just got an ad that they're having more sales. So we'll link it in the show notes. You should definitely check it out because they're my favorite pajamas. And if you can get them on sale, you should. I've never heard of this brand, but now I'm intrigued. So thanks for sharing. Take a look. What about reading? I only finished this book this week due to my Taylor Swift adventures. Completely understandable. What about you? I read The Legacies by Jessica Goodman, which when this comes out will have come out yesterday. And it gave me very strong Gossip Girl vibes. So it is about a group of rising high school seniors who are all invited to join this secret society called The Legacy Club. And on the first page, you find out that somebody fell off the roof and there was a murder. And then throughout the book, you kind of, it's multi-POV told from uh, three points of view, like three or four points of view. And um, it kind of goes through the week leading up to the legacy ball and you find out who got killed and why. And it's just like one of my favorite niche genres that isn't a genre is rich, unsupervised teens. And wow, did this scratch that itch. (laughs) I'm actually, I just started The Counselors by her. Oh, it's so good. Um, So I I followed her on Instagram for a long time and I'm looking forward to reading more. Yeah, I'm I'm really into this. So if you're a rich unsupervised teens aficionado, like if you liked Anna Kay, this is for you. Well, if you need something else to read, we have a new book club pick for August. We're going to be reading Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo. This is about Floor who has a sort of supernatural gift where she can predict to the day when someone will die. So she decides that she wants a living wake, a party to bring her family and community together to celebrate the long life she's led. And her sisters are kind of surprised by this. And the question is sort of whose death has she foreseen? I have not finished this one yet, but so far it's very good. And I think it'll be a fun discussion. I'm so excited to read this because Elizabeth Acevedo is one of my favorite YA authors, and this is her first adult book. So I'm so curious to see what it is. And also, I just love, there's such a lyrical quality to her writing. We had her on the podcast way back in the day, and she was telling us about how she wanted to be a rapper. And I think it's so cool how that has influenced her writing. So I feel like I would read her grocery list. So I'm very excited to read this adult book by her. And if you want to talk about any of this, any of it, in the Facebook group, we are there. It's Bad and Paper Podcast, or you can talk to us on Instagram at Bad and Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. Bye. 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 <laughs>